don't know how you would get through life without laughing through difficult situations. And a lot of times people think laughter is disrespectful, but laughter is just a, often just a tension reliever. I mean, the thing about humor is that if somebody's laughing at something you say, that means they're paying attention. People don't generally laugh if they're not paying attention. And if they do, you can tell they're fake laughing. From Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, this is Sound Effect. Here's your host, Megan Hayes. Critically acclaimed comedian and sociopolitical explorer W. Kamau Bell, who has been lauded by the New York Times for his talent in political comedy, is the host of several podcasts, including Denzel Washington is the Greatest Actor of All Time, period, and Politically Reactive. He also hosts the public radio show Kamau Right Now, which airs on KALW in San Francisco, and has written for VanityFair.com, Salon, MSNBC.com, BuzzFeed, and The Hollywood Reporter. His television projects include the FX comedy series Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell and his most buzzed-about project of late, the Emmy Award-nominated CNN docuseries United Shades of America, in which he selects and visits locations in the United States to examine their racially defined subcultures. These explorations have led to some pretty intense situations, including his witnessing a cross-burning at a Ku Klux Klan rally, embedding for a week in a San Quentin prison, and getting to know the police in Camden, New Jersey, who are working to improve their policing by getting to know the communities they serve. Through it all, and some less intense situations, like hanging out in a tiny house with a small business owner in nearby Asheville, Bell looks for the humor, which isn't always easy to find. Debbie Kamal Bell, welcome to Boone, North Carolina, and welcome to Sound Effect. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to begin by asking you about humor and why humor in the context of these incredibly complex and emotionally charged topics that you address. Uh, how not humor in the middle of these complex topics? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know how you would get through all this without humor and sugar. Uh, you know, you need something to sort of make things feel a little bit better and and some of the best humor that has been ever produced, definitely in the country, but I'll say the world, even though I don't know for sure, comes out of painful situations, you know. Usually the most oppressed group of this country is the funniest group of this country. So, you know, it's, uh, it, I don't know how you would get through life without laughing through difficult situations. And a lot of times people think laughter is disrespectful, but laughter is just a, often just a tension reliever mm -hmm. and a way to go, yeah, we're all doing this. Right, yeah. yeah. It's all happening, it's all <laughs> happening. And maybe sometimes a way to relate with people that you don't know even or don't maybe not agree with. I don't know. I mean, the thing about humor is that if somebody's laughing at something you say, that means they're paying attention. People don't generally laugh if they're not paying attention. And if they do, you can tell they're fake laughing. So I find, I'm a comedian, but before that I was just a person. And I find that like when you're talking to somebody, if they laugh as you sort of almost did, I know that you're, you're actually paying attention to things I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Whereas... I can tell a very sad story, and if it's not funny, you can sit there and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and be thinking about lots of other things. But if I make the sad story funny and you laugh, then I know you're paying attention. So one of the things about comedy in college campuses is that they don't seem to get along as well as they used to. And There were days when comedians would – that's where they would you know, do their shows. They would come to college campuses, and it seems like in the past couple of years – there's been this hesitation from major comedians to 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 you know perform at college campuses. I don't. I mean, I, I think you're referencing probably the Seinfeld Chris Some Rock. Some of it, thing. Yeah. yeah. I the thing about that. I mean, I I know Chris. Uh, he was a producer of Totally Bias. He wasn't performing at colleges. He hasn't performed in colleges for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, he, what their conversation that I understood is that somebody had told Seinfeld something that Seinfeld didn't tell Chris. So it becomes a game of telephone a little bit. Millionaire telephone, and <laughs> I. 
college campuses are hard places to perform at, and right. they've always been that way because you have to sort of you can't just do everything you do because the university usually brings you there for a reason. And even if they say do whatever you want to do, you're inevitably going to find people who whose lines you're going to cross. Now the difference in the 21st century is that people whose lines you cross can immediately tell the world that you cross their line. Whereas mm-hmm. like you know, 20 years ago somebody would just be offended and have to tell their friends. Well, now they can literally tell the world. And if the world thinks it's interesting, it becomes a major news story. So college campuses have always been more charged places to perform. You know, most huge comedians don't perform on college campuses and never have, you know, maybe, maybe Carlin did, but I don't even know if he was by the end, but yeah, most college campuses for a lot of comedians is something you do until you either age out or you become so successful, you don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> so, like, you know, <laughs> so I'm on the probably on the aging out spectrum, but you know, because it's just, it's a very specific. It's like performing at a wedding reception. You know, it's like everybody there is there for a reason. Uh, they're all thinking about the reason they're there, and you have to address that reason. And if you and if you offend the bride, then you're not going to be able to get through your thing. So here, but everybody on a college campus <laughs> is kind of the bride. Interesting. So I heard you tell the story on This American Life a couple of years ago um, about you getting shooed away from a cafe, like talking to your, your wife and her yeah. friends. Um, that's just funny because that happened on my birthday, and this is my birthday. Oh, so that's right. I, I didn't expect that. that like the two-year anniversary that I'd be telling the story again. Happy birthday. Let me remind you of something really annoying that happened on your birthday two yeah, years ago. Yeah. Um, that, that made me think a lot, that conversation. Yeah. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just briefly telling what happened and sorry to make you relive that. I, you know, because it happened on my birthday, I think about it every time I have a birthday. So, I mean, it's been two years since it happened. But, you know, I sort of think that this will be part of what my birthday means for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, especially because nothing good has come out of it, really. Nothing that means anything other than just I have this story or my family has a story. But two years ago, I was at home. I wasn't working like I am today. And me and my wife had breakfast at a, like a nice cafe that she likes to go to. And then I left that cafe and then went back to the cafe to meet my wife later. And when we when I got there, my wife was sitting outside with our 13-week-old baby and a bunch of moms and their babies because there was a mom's group. And, and as I walked up and started talking to my wife, uh, somebody in the cafe knocked on the window and told me to keep it moving, basically. And, you know, became clear that they thought I was harassing these women at best and harassing and homeless at worst. Who knows? You know, so from what I understood later, somebody who was eating at the cafe told the management that I was harassing the women uh, and I wasn't. They were all laughing or whatever, or at least not screaming. <laughs> so like in the restaurant, instead of sort of eyeing the situation and taking it in to see what was happening, just immediately decided that, oh, there's a black guy talking to white women. We got to stop that situation. And this is Berkeley, California. So, you know, it's not like something that is supposed to happen there, but of course happens there all the time. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe something good did come out of it because it, you know, if, I mean, if no, that, it was I don't just say one no good. person. The good is that I've told the story. Right. A lot of people heard me tell the story. I told them this American life. A lot of people of color who have heard that story have said, have sort of opened up about things that happened to them. A lot of times when you're in a member of an oppressed group, and this is true of like if you're openly gay or if you're trans or if some, even if you're a woman, <laughs> things that happen to you, these you don't talk about all the painful things that happen all day because you don't want to sound crazy. And so for me, this was like a way for people who are being treated poorly in public by lots of retail places going, yeah, that happens to me, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to make a big, because I didn't want to look like I was making a big deal out of something. Right, yeah. So for me, it was like a lot of good has come out of it. It's just the fact is the cafe had promised, the Elmwood Cafe, promised they would do a lot of things to like change the ways that their restaurant interacted with people and 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 change the way that the restaurants in that street did. And eventually we'll take it to the city and then the world. And they didn't, they basically, as soon as, the press hit went away because it became like a Bay Area big story, like a local news story. Comedian J. Jamoko Fudge gets kicked out of a cafe. And they once the press died down, 
they stop doing anything and stop answering my emails. So that's the thing that sort of, and especially considering we're in the current era of America right now, it's like if we can't get through cafe, if we can't figure out how to make that situation better, how are we going to deal with what's going on right now? Well, that's kind of what I was wondering because I went on their website and um, was looking and they have all of these social justice things that yeah. they do. And I thought, you know, I just wonder... I mean, they said they fired, I guess, the server or whatever. Which is not the that's, but, that's yeah, not the right? problem. It's not that it's institutionalized racism and institutionalized oppression doesn't end if you fire one person. I don't believe that that and I've said this a lot. I don't believe that that server went to work that day and said, I'm just mad at black people. <laughs> like, exactly, I, I, right? Like, I think I'll get up and just, uh, you know, really uh, be racist yeah, and obnoxious today. That, I don't think that that's that. I don't believe that happened for a second. I believe that whatever, however you train your servers, that person was told if people are harassing our customers and this is what those people look like and they probably just, you know, and this is how you know if it's that person, then say something to them. And the funny thing for me is that I was wearing like a knit cap and a hoodie, which in the Bay Area could make me a billionaire because that's how Zuckerberg dresses. So to me, it's like, it's it's definitely, and this is, like I said, this is in Berkeley, which is next to Oakland. Right, Oakland's a very yeah. black city. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's the easy way out. And I think that that cafe, you know, people have the expression, uh, Think globally, act locally. Yeah, I think they have act globally, ignore locally. Ignore locally. Yeah, that's what I just kept thinking is like it seems like they. I just keep thinking about what is the responsibility of the business in this, you know, because, you know, I mean, they could have turned out so many different ways, and obviously, mm-hmm. it's like okay, so this bad thing happened. Maybe they didn't tell. Maybe they didn't train their staff that way. Maybe this person just yeah. was, you know, acting in, you know, playing her or his role. I think yeah. it was her in this social construct, but. So to me, it was kind of a cautionary tale. Like, I, I'm sure I have done something like that without even realizing that I've done it in the past mm-hmm. and don't want to do that again. But that's the kind of thing, like when you're talking about having awkward conversations, if the cafe could have done something like that, yeah. you know, and I don't know, maybe facilitated conversations so that people yeah. could just face up to it and, and own up to it's it. It's funny. And we had a, like a community meeting about it and the owner promised a lot of stuff but nothing happened but the funny thing for me was that uh, we just passed because the cafe is right near where my daughter goes to preschool so we pass all the time and we passed it and they have in the bear there's these signs up that basically say all are welcome and it's like the picture of a woman who looks to be like a Muslim woman or an Arab woman like a drawing it says all are welcome you know you're safe here kind of thing and I was like and it was they had this thing up this poster of this of this Arab-ish Muslim looking woman up but like, you're welcome here and I was like so, I just felt like oh that's funny <laughs> like, <laughs> am I welcome Welcome yet? Yeah, like, right. can, can I go by? <laughs> All are welcome here, except for that comedian. Uh, you know, so for me, it's like the Bay Area. It has a reputation for being progressive and politically to the left, but a lot of it's like a lot of places. A lot of there's a lot of talk about things, but there's not mm-hmm. a lot of action, which is why people have a lot of feelings about the women's march like it shows yeah. people it's a lot of those people in the women's march were people who probably were all talk and a lot of people who ignored the way the political winds were blowing in this country and now they they're actually getting out of their houses which becomes another complicated situation yeah who is the march for who's represented sure, how are those yeah. how is it inclusive is it is it doing the right thing what happens next but you know it's something it's a, hopefully it's the beginning of something yeah well so um you know this is a a really white campus. You've been on our campus for, you know, all of like five hot minutes or something. Oh, I, I and Googled lights it. Went out, I always yeah. Google these things. We're excited about this progress we've made to have 17% of our first year class, you know, come from underrepresented populations. So that's, you know, that's, that's where we're coming from here. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I guess I'm interested in is when, here we are, we're sitting on the, on the edge of this like massive paradigm shift for demographics nationwide. I think we're past right? the edge. So, yeah, well, this <laughs> oh, group. Oh, you mean, oh, the demographics. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, this, this millennial group that we're talking about right now, these college kids are going to be the ones that are at the, you know, they're at the very edge of this. So, mm-hmm. you know, thinking 
about that and what you're going to say tonight. What advice do you have for our students um, who are, you know, sitting there at this precipice and kind of figuring out how to navigate their way forward? I think my biggest advice is don't be cowed or afraid or negligent or reluctant to speak up to help create the world you want to see, because some people certainly aren't. And so if you if you want the world to be different, then figure out a way to, to make that happen, whether you know, whether it can be small ways like, you know, checking your friends and their privilege or big ways like starting a rally or, or a boycott or a protest or calling your congressperson, you know, the, all these things help. So I think that like what we have found is that I think the last election proved is that many people sort of sat, they, they thought they were in the action, but they were actually on the sidelines. They thought they were in the middle of the game, but they were actually on the sidelines. And so for me, it's like you have to you have to get in the game. So, you know, otherwise, this is what you, you get. You sort of you get what you deserve. Yeah. 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 Well, W. Kamal Bell, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. I know you've got a big night ahead of you and appreciate you uh, stopping by and, yeah. and spending some time to chat with us before you go on stage tonight. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Today's show was written and produced by Troy Tuttle, Dave Blanks, and me, Megan Hayes. Our sound engineer is Dave Blanks, with assistance from Wes Craig. Our web team is Pete Montaldi, Alex Waterworth, and Derek Wyckoff. Research assistance comes from Elizabeth Wall, and video and photo support come from Garrett Ford and Marie Freeman. Our theme song was written and performed by Derek Wyckoff of Naked Gods. Our podcast studio is dedicated to Greg Cuddy. Special thanks to Stephen Dubner for the inspiration, advice, and moral support. Sound Effect is a production of the University Communications Team at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. For Sound Effect, I'm Megan Hayes.